and welcome to the beautiful boxing podcast i want to just start off with the devin haney controversy from you know the weekend and i know it feels a bit dated but sometimes with these things you need to make sure you've had time to think reflect gauge where public opinion is and then try and understand where you sit in relation to that so for those that haven't followed in summary Devin Haney was asked a question about Lomachenko and he said something along the lines of I will never lose to a white boy in my life if I fight 10 white boys I beat 10 of them now he may have said more around that but I think that's probably enough to to trigger the debate now there are a lot of things about Devin Haney um, it doesn't seem that I mean I I suspect his his brain cells are socially distancing themselves from each other at the moment because he doesn't seem to think straight. I know he was on the Eddie Hearn Instagram live with Luke Campbell and he was trolling then. But I understand that because that's how you make fights happen. That's how you build up interest. Although for the record, no, it's probably more enough torture sitting there having to listen to Luke Campbell try and exude some kind of personality. But that's nothing against Luke Campbell. He's probably just the guy who would be better off on a fishing boat somewhere east of the Humber, if we're being brutally honest. But we digress. Devin Haney's comments essentially lit a fire under boxing, and it touched on what I call the thorniest issue in boxing, and that is race. It's something that is almost taboo now, and for, for two reasons. One, you can never talk about it in a positive sense. And what I mean about that is you can never talk about physiological differences between different cultures that we all know are true. So... You look at black fighters, black fighters don't tend to blow up between weigh-in and fight night. Latino boxers tend to be able to add a ridiculous amount of weight between weigh-in and fight night. These sorts of things, you know, they're not big things, but they are they're, they're physiological differences as a result of different genetics, right? But these are innate things. And you can talk about those. I don't think that makes you racist at all. But what we never talk about are these things here, like, can you get away with saying I'm not losing to a white boy? I wasn't comfortable when Bernard Hopkins said it to Joe Calzaghe. And so I'm not comfortable now that Devin Haney has said it. Because my view is this. Racism is racism. Racism has no start point. Like, it's not that you have to have been black. You have to have been oppressed. It does, it's not that. It is simply... Any form of expression of negativity about an individual or group based upon their race. I can't sign up to that, if I'm being brutally honest. It's not something I subscribe to. And I grew up in a country in Southern Africa where white people were the minority. And when their farms got taken over, you know, was that a racist act? To some people it was. To others, it was simply finishing off an international agreement that wasn't fulfilled. But there were racial elements to it because there were some people that were happy to see them gone. So I can't say it's not racist because, oh, well, they were white. They deserved it. No, racism is racism, which we need to start touching on in boxing. Like Race is a big issue in boxing. It's a big issue in the sense of look how many black fighters there are. Look how few black managers there are. Look how few black promoters there are. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about how promoters actively blocked Audley Harrison being able to put on the fights he wanted to put on when he had A-Force promotions. Their only aim was to kill A-Force promotions, and if you killed Audley in the process, so be it. So you imagine what that did to Audley's mental health when 
from being his own man, he had to then go and get promoted by somebody. Well, Audley wasn't that good, and I entertained that argument. But there was a concerted attempt to, to keep him out. When David Hay wanted to go solo, same thing. Shut him down at all costs. It was just that David was so good, you couldn't ignore him. But the system didn't want him. And if ever there's going to be a promoter amenable to all races and all backgrounds, it's going to be David Hay. Why would you stop him? We don't talk about this. Things we don't talk about are how if you go into most amateur gyms, the first thing they'll say is, wouldn't bother signing a black fighter. Why? Ah, they're lazy. They never sold tickets. But they're allowed to say this because supposed, supposedly it's urban wisdom. This gets said all the time. Only have black fighters in the gym because they win for us. But generally, I don't think they wash. They, I've heard all sorts of dumb shit. I've also heard things like, you've got to keep these guys under your thumb. You can't let them ever believe they have any power. You have to be the one in charge. All these sorts of things that are laced with racial connotations. There's a, there's a fair degree of racism in boxing. In the same way, there's a fair degree of racism within society. Is it amplified among working class people? I don't know. Maybe it's just more visible. But let's never ignore the fact that there's a race discussion that has never happened in boxing. Definitely never happened publicly. But because it doesn't happen, don't, don't believe for one second it doesn't exist. But let's come back to Devin Haney. Why there were so many tweets and column inches and time invested in a discussion that really is a moot point. The fact is racism is racism. It didn't need Anthony Fowler coming in saying, well, what if I said I'd never lose to a black guy? What does that mean? Mm, that'd be racism too. So there's no disagreement for most of us on, on these things. That would be racism too. Racism is racism is racism. The thing I always feel uncomfortable about with this whole thing is, I call it the O'Hara Davis test. Because what Hearn did, when he got rid of O'Hara Davis, for what he said, allegedly about Liverpool, which now it turns out kind of been about Liverpool, O'Hara Davis has no clue about Liverpool. He can't point to Liverpool on the map. But that set of tests that said, look, if you say something people find offensive, you're not going to box on a matchroom show. Unless there's too much money at stake, then, you know, we'll just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. I think the Devin Haney thing's absolutely disgusting. I think Hearn's reaction to it, absolutely disgusting. I think boxing's reaction to it, absolutely disgusting. And I genuinely hope he fights Lomachenko and Lomachenko beats the crap out of him. I do, because any form of racism is something I don't agree with. And... To, to be so flippant, to play so loose with the concept of race, considering what happens under racism. Yes, the, you know, the Barbary Coast, where North African pirates, if you want to call them that, would go all the way up to Iceland and kidnap Europeans, Iceland, down the coast of Norway, through to Denmark, down back towards Morocco. And this is why if you go to North Africa, it's not unusual to see people with blonde and red hair. You've got that. You've got what the settlers did to the Native Americans. You've got what the Australians did to the Aborigines. 
You've got what the Japanese did to the Chinese. You've got what Britain did to basically like one quarter of the world. This is all racism. When we should all, everyone listening to this, should have that view of calling racism what it is whenever you see it. It's not playing the race card. It's not being sensitive. It's just saying we can find other things to disrespect people about, not race, because that's the one thing you can't hide. That's the one thing you can't pretend. And it's the one thing you don't control. So let's see what happens with Devin Haney. Like, the fact that he's been fucking mailed another belt as well exacerbates the problem. But boxing will do nothing so long as the money is good. <laughs> and I guess in the long run, this is what will kill boxing. Maybe not this year, but eventually this is what's going to kill boxing. It's this hubris, this belief that fans will just take whatever we give them. But this talk of money brings me to my next point. And my next point is, what's the future for boxing? Now, if you look at the wider economy, you don't want to be an oil producer right now. And you definitely don't want to own an airline. So there are people in the current economy who are sweating. You know what I mean? This corona, um, the downturn, it has a few people on toast, fully buttered. You know what I mean? Nicely done. And the worrying thing is, at some point, this has to come to boxing. And I'll explain why. We're not going to make a decision on whether to lift the lockdown until, I think it's May 7th, and that brings us just before the bank holiday. But there are two things you have to actually address here. Number one, you have to address the lockdown. So do you lift the lockdown, yes or no? If you decide to lift the lockdown, happy days for some people. But now you've got to go, do we lift the social distancing restrictions? And I think the answer to that is no. I don't believe we will, re we, we won't lift the social distancing restrictions until we have a vaccine. It would be irresponsible to do so, and it would undo all the hard work we've done over the last, is it 37, 38 days, in foregoing a number of freedoms in the hope that we get this under control. So what does that mean for boxing? Well, I'm going to answer that by reference to a friend of mine who owns some restaurants in Leeds. Let me not snitch, because I don't want people, you know, <laughs> tarnishing his brand by associating it with me. But he owns a number of restaurants in Leeds. And so he's done his scenario planning where he goes, if everyone has to be two meters away, what does that mean for my restaurants? What it means is it's not even worth opening. He's not profitable because his business margin, depending on time of year, is somewhere between 9 and 14%. Right? That's his margin. Like, that's what he has to play around with. So if you're taking maybe between 40 and 55% of the covers, and that's the number of people that can sit in the restaurant, away due to social, social distancing. That's it. Due to social distancing. Then what happens? You're running at a constant loss, and you're literally just running to mitigate your losses. And that's going to be true in pubs, and that's going to be true in venues, concert venues, venues like York Hall, Gyms, leisure centers, public transport, airlines. They're all going to have to respect the social distancing. So all of a sudden, capacity is halved. So you're a boxing promoter. And all of your revenue models, your pay-per-view revenue models, are based on selling out venues like White Hart Lane, the O2, potentially Wembley, potentially the Principality Stadium, maybe Twickenham. They're where your big events are going to happen. 
you start introducing social distancing and Wembley probably goes to a 30,000 capacity venue. But the atmosphere is terrible because the sound, the sound's coming from here, there and everywhere. So actually as a spectacle, it would look bizarre. So then do you, do you then have it behind closed doors? Do you have the fight islanders as Dana White would describe it? And if you do that, who pays for that? The only people who can pay for that other TV companies, and they'll do that on a pay-per-view basis. So everything you watch boxing-wise would be pay-per-view. <laughs> so my question back to you guys listening. Do you believe you could get, let's just say that we get 20 weeks of boxing coverage. Do you think there are 20 weekends worth of pay-per-view quality fights that could happen in this country? Yeah. Now you've got to split them between Sky and BT. Now it's even worse. So we're faced with this problem that you're not going to be able to fill the venues. Your financial models fall apart. What fighters earn falls apart now. But the longer this goes on, the more you're thinking, if you're, a, if you're an up-and-coming fighter like Mo Garib, you're now thinking, oh, what am I doing this for? You know, if, if the venues don't get authority to allow boxing to happen, and that's a very real possibility until September, October time, and my whole business model is based upon me selling tickets, what is the viability of my career? If you're a ticket seller, and most boxers who are not televised are ticket sellers, who's going to buy a ticket? And when will they ever be in a position to buy a ticket again? Because without a vaccine... There's no incentive. No one's trying to die from this corona, this COVID-19. No one's trying to die from it. So boxing's going to face this squeeze. TV companies going, this isn't the spectacle I want it to be. This doesn't feel like a memorable night. So Joshua Pulev in front of 500 people, maybe a dinner show, isn't the same as Joshua Pulev in front of 80,000. You know, having... Having... Chisora versus Usyk in, I don't know, Brockwell Park, for example, isn't the same as having it in a packed out O2. So what are TV companies going to want to put into this, knowing that they're not going to get much out? So boxing faces a dilemma because, I want to be brutally honest about the sport of boxing. It's niche. It's niche, right? Everyone listening here can name boxers. You can name your AJ Carters. You can name your Domac and Lardis, right? Outside of this circle of people who kind of watch boxing, no one knows who they are. So boxing being this really, really small sport is going to be the victim of what I call the, the cascade of hell in the event that the premiership season's cancelled and clubs have to return or rebate a proportion of season ticket money because a lot of people are going to lose at least four games off their season ticket. That's excluding some cup finals and that might be excluding some European matches. I don't know. And that's your, that's your standard customers. That's your corporates. Everyone's going to want a rebate. So football clubs might have to hand back somewhere around, I don't know, maybe 10% of revenue back to fans. TV companies aren't going to pay for a season that's not finished. So you're looking at losing around a billion out the game of football. That might just be in this country. Now look at the, the top four leagues. It might be even more. Then you've got rugby. Rugby's got the same problem. You're going to have to refund as well. 
So you might lose another 10 million, 15 million out of rugby. Cricket, same problem. So by the time you get to boxing, like all this money's dissipating from sport to the point where you're saying, well, if these brands aren't involved in sport anymore, they ain't going to be involved in boxing. Apart from the top level, your Joshua's, your Furies, your Wilders, no one's going to care about the rest. You're going to see that boxing market shrink. Small hall boxing's dead right now. If you're a small hall promoter and you don't have a TV deal, your proposition's dead in the water. Social distancing's just killed your proposition. Then that's not a dig at Steve Goodwin. That's any small hall promoter. You know, even Dennis Hobson, he's got a TV deal, but what, what shows can you put on and where? You know, if ever you want to see how terrible behind closed door boxing could be, just go and watch some of those old AWA wrestling matches from the 80s. They're disgusting. But the reality is boxing's a long way of kicking off again. A long, long way of kicking off again. The guys I'm speaking to, while they're in shape, they're not fit. And a lot of guys are at least eight weeks off. So even if we did lift the lockdown and the social distancing, you're not getting a show before August. Because there are a lot of fights that haven't even been agreed. And I find that really strange. Everyone in boxing has time to agree fights now. We should be agreeing fights. Now, can you agree the precise commercials? Probably not, because we don't know what the model is. But we should be able to say that these fights are the fights we want to happen. They, the Zone could put out a schedule. Put out a schedule now, make fans feel good, but they don't. And ultimately, the challenge I have with all of this is, I don't see how you have boxing as long as you have social distancing. And I don't see what financial model works for it. And when people say, well, how can you have football? You can have football because basically... <laughs> Football has such a fan base and has such a deep, fierce loyalty behind the franchise that is the football club that they will watch a game behind closed doors. Boxing doesn't have that. So when people say we take boxing for granted, no, boxing took us for granted for a long time. You know, I saw Coogan write that. Boxing took its fans for granted for a long time. And you know what's happened now? The fans have been taken away. By social distancing, the fans have been taken away and everyone now realises we don't have a sport. All those people who shat on the amateurs, we don't have a sport right now that is viable at any level. There's a model where you can go pay-per-view, but no one's really going to pay to watch Sam Eggington fight fucking Frankie Gavin. No one's paying for that. Not in a month of Sundays. So I don't know where we are in terms of it. What I know is boxing's in a really, really bad place. Because it took its fans for granted. Every one of you got taken for granted. Substandard fights. These, these cards filled with journeymen. When we should have been having the 50-50s. Where we're looking at it and we go, who are the people in British boxing who have really risked it all? And for all of his mad antics, yeah, you say guys like Scott Fitzgerald. You say guys like Fury. You'd say guys like Umar Sadiq, who just put themselves in harm's way and come out victorious. And you say fair play to them. But everyone else, 
you took, you took the sport for granted. And now it turns out those same fans you took for granted, they ain't going to have time for you. Because if you look at what the next 12 months look like, football's got to happen. Either this season's got to finish or next season's got to start early. Then you've got rugby needing to happen, Six Nations needing to finish off. There'll be all sorts of cricket tests that haven't happened. Then we're drifting into 2021 and you're talking Olympics and you're talking all these other things. No one's going to care about boxing. There isn't enough money. Now, when it comes to tickets, I know guys from all sorts of backgrounds, all different walks of life. It can be Rob Martin. It can be Dan Smith. It can be Dan Glozier. You know, it can be, you know, in some rare cases, Martin Theobald. Could be Winnie King, could be Riku, Hakler. It could be anyone, right? For all of these people, 70 quid for a ticket. Sometimes you're buying 240s for 80 quid. That might be a day's earnings for someone. It might not be for others. It might be a couple of days' earnings for others. I have no idea. What I know is for the man, the typical man and woman on the street, that's a lot of money. And you're paying that. Then you're getting to the venue and getting back. You're having a few drinks, perhaps. It adds up. Now I'm asking you a question. For those who have been furloughed, for those who, who might be uneasy about their jobs, is this the time you want to be spending money on boxing tickets? And your answer will be, only for the top notch, the creme de la creme, only for the best fights. You're not paying 80 quid now. You're not paying 80 quid to watch Jose Lopez versus Daniel Mendes. And that's not to disrespect them as talents. No, it's just saying for their level, just take the box rec rankings. I'm not paying to watch those guys fight each other. I'm not paying to watch Dave Abraham fight John Pilata right now. And I love John. I love John like a brother. But I'm only paying money ticket wise. If you give me John Pilata versus Dave Allen, or if you give me, think, trying to think of examples where it's meaningful, you give me Chris Congo versus Josh Kelly, I'll entertain that. You give me Luther Clay versus Conor Ben, I'll entertain those sorts of fights. They are the baseline now. Before you might have tried to main event those, they're the baseline for people to even engage with the sport. Because we've all been through so much of the society, we're just trying to, we're trying to get over it. And if you're not giving us feel-good fights, we're just going to go to somewhere that is giving us a feel-good event. Time is precious, as we're now realising. When you get so much time to yourself, you realise, actually, my time and my leisure are really precious. And so, it'll be interesting to see where boxing goes. What it can't do is it cannot lurch back to normal, because we were getting shafted as fans and that wasn't fair. And if ever you want a reason to throw that back at boxing's face, it is this. Of these 30-odd days that the gyms have been shut, what have your favourite boxers given you? Who stepped up? Joseph Parker. Tyson Fury stepped up. Whatever people want to say, he stepped up and he's given back. Um, and to give him his due, like, look... Even guys like Uma are trying to, you know, they're trying to push something different. But then I look at all the other boxers who have sat on their backsides and gone, I'm just going to wait this out. So back to the people I mentioned before, 
who work God knows how many hours to buy that one ticket. And a boxer doesn't spare that corresponding amount of free time, not labor, free time to give back. And so this is where I give a round of applause to guys like Eddie Hearn because what Hearn was able to do was just go, right, I'm going to jump on my Instagram live. That's the one thing I know I have for certain. I'm going to get my whole stable of fighters on. It's a shame he couldn't get AJ on, no idea why. But, you know, maybe he just doesn't do Instagram live and he doesn't like reading the comments. But at least Eddie did his thing. Dave Caldwell's tried, but I don't think he's broken 150 viewers yet or 150 concurrent viewers. So he might want to up his game because, look, they're Belarusian female bodybuilders doing 800 views. That's a third of what Eddie Hearn gets. So when you think the sport's big, you think there's a Belarusian female bodybuilder who is in Minsk. She's not in Vegas. She's, not in, she's in Minsk. And she's doing 800 views. Eddie's doing, what, 2,200 on a good day? Coogan's doing 200. Boxing's really, really small. And social media is a reminder that it's really, really small. But Hearn's trying. Caldwell's trying. Uh, some of these other boxing outlets, I don't necessarily follow them on Instagram, but I see the traction. They're all trying. And, you know, shouts out to the people trying. I have no issue with that. It's the ones I see sat on their backsides. And actually, there was a really good discussion between Larry Ekandayo and Dan Aziz. I really enjoyed that. And it shows that when you get off your backside, you can do something. But when boxers are lazy like this, you're not going to be making any money when it comes back. We are going to remember who gave back. While people were breaking their backs to buy your tickets, when you had the free time to give back, you chose not to. Worth remembering. Every boxer should remember they had a chance to give back. They had a chance to entertain. They had a chance to keep themselves relevant and they chose not to. Like, damn, even Bell, you went on SAS Who Dares Wins. Like, and he's the guy that's trying to lay low, for God's sake. Yeah, but but uh, there you go. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I think boxing's in a, in, it's in a very bad place. Not enough was done to enhance its status and its reputation at a time like this. We weren't central to anything of value. In fact, all the news coming out of boxing was negative. Look, our unified world heavyweight champion had to quarantine himself because he was around people that had it because he wasn't respecting the social distancing, for goodness sake. So what more can you say? On a side note, has anyone ever noticed how Joshua can never talk about Wilder? Uh, when you hear him talk about Fury, he sounds really confident. When he talks about Usyk, he sounds confident. When he speaks about Chisora, he sounds confident. Dillian, super confident. When he talks about Wilder, I think in every interview where Wilder's come up, he hesitates, he falls over his words, he stumbles and he stammers, almost like he's, he's living out his nightmare as he's responding. And I've always found that strange, but at least Joshua's fronted up, but he looks in terrible shape. He legit looks like he had that coronavirus. He does. I hope he didn't. I really hope he didn't. But he looks like he, he might have had to actually lay low for a while. But, you know, as for boxing, as fans, please vote with your wallets and reward the people who gave you something back. Ooh, ooh. I want to come back to something 
that I've talked about a lot in the past, probably a lot less so now, but it's drugs in boxing. And the reason I want to talk about it is I think my views changed a lot over the years. So when I became aware of people using drugs in boxing, you're talking about 2009, 2010. Right? And I know who it was. I know what they were doing. And I always thought it was cheating because I'd always bought into this notion that boxing was the ultimate sport. It was clean. Everyone, everyone in there was a gentleman. Yada, yada, yada. Until I realized what they were taking and I saw who they were associating with. And, you know, when you see boxers and rugby players associating with each other, what you know for certain is they're sharing secrets in the dark arts. So when I was, yeah, back in those days, a decade ago, I was like, hang them, flog them, ban them, don't let them make a penny out of boxing. I mean, we're in 2020 now. And I think my view has become, just let them do it. UCAD doesn't want to trouble boxing. It really doesn't. It doesn't have the money to do so. It doesn't want to trouble the top level of rugby. It doesn't want to tr trouble the top level of football. What I know from UCAD is they have on file every bit of intelligence on athletes. Now, what they know and what they can prove are two different things. But they know, for example, premiership footballers are going up to Harley Street and getting TRT injections, so testosterone replacement therapy. And some of these guys are doing that at a level of 200 milligrams a week. And that allows them to keep playing into their 30s. So they get, they get a mix of test, I think it's you know, test propionate, cypionate, one of the two. Bit of test, bit of growth hormone. Probably doing two IUs a day in season, one IU a day out of season. And then EPO, depending on your blood level. And that's what these guys are doing. You can know that. They know rugby players are doing it. They know some boxers are doing it. They know it's, on, it's in their files. But they dare not go through the ball ache of having to go to court. So when they test boxers, when Hearn tells you boxers are the most tested people, he's right. But they literally signpost when they're coming and they say, on this day, I am coming. Please be clean because we cannot be bothered to deal with people failing tests. And you can't get annoyed when someone fails a test. They could have done without the, the Fury Nandrolone thing. They could have done without all of that. They don't want it because deep down, they don't want to catch people that big. It's not in their interests. So I look at it now and I just say, when you balance out the, the sheer volume of training boxers have to undertake now and the damage that's actually doing to them if they're doing it naturally, it does a lot of damage, it will shorten your life. Then as a life preservation means, bit of test, bit of growth hormone wouldn't hurt anyone. In terms of thickening up your bones, your tendons, making you more punch resistant, maybe. Would it make your punches heavier? Yes, to an extent, but remember, it's a weight-governed sport to all apart from heavyweight. So there's only so much that can do. So I think I've come around to that view, and, and I've read the article that Larry, the war machine, Olo Bamuyo did, and my take on it is I feel for Larry because Larry wasn't the worst offender. 
Larry probably wasn't the worst defender in his gym. He might have been the guy with the most knowledge, but he wasn't the worst defender. He wasn't the worst defender in the sport. He wasn't the worst defender in the wider, wider world of sport. He wasn't. But he got caught. And he paid a heavy price. But in his piece, he's honest when he goes, when he says 90% of pay-per-view level boxers are taking something, I don't think he's far off. I just don't. Because you can't do the training volumes these guys do. You can't do it clean and you definitely can't do it after 31. So you now start to think about who's who. You know, there are a lot of old guys making a good living in boxing and you never ask yourselves why. Because we're so willing to believe the hero narrative that these guys are just different from us. They're superhuman somehow. So my question is, if you're superhuman as a boxer, why the hell are you not running the 400 meters? Why the hell are you not in the NFL? Why are you not in the NBA if you're Superman? Because you make a hell of a lot more money, even if you're crap in that sport. Why are you here fighting? Look at the United States. The best big men play football, play basketball, or even ice hockey, for God's sake, or baseball. That's what the best big athletic men do. The best women in the WNBA play tennis. That's where the freaks are, because that's where the money is. So what do you get left? You, whatever's left is in boxing. They're not supermen. So you really think these guys can train like savages in a way that you can't? And you're there doing triathlons and stuff. And no, 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 no. They're not that good. And so the conclusion you just draw is let these guys do if that's what they want to do. Because deep down, I wouldn't mind seeing a freak show. I wouldn't mind seeing these guys on whatever it is they can get in their systems. And let's just find out what the human body can do. And when people talk about brain injuries, if we were serious about solving brain injuries, we wouldn't force fighters to drink nothing but water. You want to talk about where the brain injuries come from? It's there. If we didn't want fighters to suffer brain injuries, we'd have them closer to their natural weights. The reality is we want a freak show and we want the fight to definitely happen. That's why we give them enough time to make weight. And that's why we don't care about doping, because we want the freak show. And that's why we need to allow it. I, look, I found Larry's article interesting. If I could get him on board, I'd love to have that conversation with him, because I think, you, he's, I think he did biochemistry. So you can have that, that really technical discussion where people would understand, actually, what do these things do? And why is it impossible to do the stuff without them? But in terms of doping, I am now just like, just let it happen. Like, the, the horse has bolted, just let it happen. That, that's pretty much all I, all I can say on the matter. I want to just close off by just touching on a topic I find pretty interesting. And this is where I've got to tip my hat off to, to Danny Watley, because he's back, he's back on with his channel now. Um, I think it's, I never know what it's called. Let's talk about boxing. Yeah. I wish he just called it Danny Watley. Right? It would be easier. I've got to think about Big LaRusso, let's talk now. Um, all that stuff, it confuses me, but it's a good channel and he knows his stuff. He's a, he's a pretty sharp cookie and he touches on something I find pretty interesting. Eddie Hearn went in and paid them a lot of money to get the fight over here, to get Walsh from over here, to get Harper that belt. Fair enough, that's boxing. No argument. But before that fight even took place with Wallstrom, 
Steffi Bull had already, and he's admitted this, and it's fine, it's, 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 it's no news. Harper's said, uh, Michaela May said, look, I was told that I'm not next. And Steffi Bull said to me on Twitter, yep, she was told she weren't next because we've got monetaries to fulfill, which is fine. That was excuse number one. She was told before the Wallstrom fight had even took place, we win this belt, you're not next. Now, by way of context, Michaela Mayer, ex-Olympian, turned pro, looking pretty good. I think she signed with Bob Arum. Terry Harper, probably the opposite of that. Like, Terry Harper's dirt tracked her way up to a world title, and you have to respect that. So, so the issue I really have with this is female boxing struggles because the big fights don't happen soon enough. And they don't really happen because they don't have the critical mass of boxers at a consistently high level. So the difference between the number one ranked boxer and the number 10 ranked boxer is the difference in speed between a, a space shuttle and a skateboard, right? So when you hear people say Michaela Mayer, who can actually box and can actually punch, isn't anywhere near fighting Terry Harper. My first thing is boxing's greed and its ability to shoot itself in the foot has no limits. Terry Harper could fight Michaela Mayer, lose, go back, work on stuff, come back, beat her. Like It's that close that we'd pay to watch both fights. They'd be a lot richer for it. But instead, we're going to watch her just trot that belt around, fight Natasha Jonas, who we know is washed up, and that's no disrespect to Natasha Jonas. She's had the kid. Her focus is elsewhere. That's clear. And now we now have to just go through the, the sorry charade of standard matchroom British boxing politics where they just avoid the, the big monster. And what you'll hear about Michaela Mayer is this. We just need to build the fight up. We need to let it marinate. No, we don't. Stop applying the way you do boxing with men to women. Let women define their own business model. Let them just fight each other once a week if they want to. It's almost as if he's trying to hold them back. Just let the women do it how they want to do it. Terry Harper would fight Michaela Mayer in a heartbeat. I don't think she cares. She's like, we fight 10 times. She might win six, but I'll definitely win four. Cool. Let it happen. That's what frustrates me in boxing. Is women's boxing's on its way up and we're already trying to do the, the dirty tricks to stop it. And it's another example of why boxing can't come back the way it used to be after this whole COVID-19 thing is done. It cannot come back this way. But listen, thanks to Danny Watley, if you can get hold of it, I don't know if you need to do all 44 minutes of it like some of us did, but there's some good insight there. So good to see him back. You know, the more the merry in this game, so fair play to him. Look, I'm going to tap out now because, you know, the sun's shining outside and I've got a life to be getting on with. But I really appreciate you guys listening. I should be back sooner than I was last time. I think not, not much has happened in boxing for me to, to be getting that excited about. But hopefully in the next episode, we'll have something a bit meatier to get our teeth into. So you guys take care. Bye.